Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, October 14th, 2021. There are some moments in athletics where receiving an award and the award that's given and how it's received just becomes iconic. You think of the Olympics and the winning athletes receiving that gold medal, having it put around their neck. Or you think of a golfer slipping on that green jacket for the first time. Or you think of the team sports and when the team wins the championship, uh, gathering together to hold up something like the Stanley Cup or the Lombardi Trophy in football. And as you think about those moments, many of them are familiar because you've seen them on TV uh, many, many times. But to imagine yourself in such a situation uh, seems like a stretch. It's familiar, but it's also so distant because you're never going to have the medal hung around your neck. You're never going to slip on the green jacket. You're not going to kiss the Stanley Cup. Uh, what, uh, you know, what are you ever going to know about that? Well, what if I told you that for believers, there is a reward that you will receive someday that will far surpass the greatness and the splendor and the moment of any of those other trophies or awards. And we're going to see a little more about that today in James chapter 1, as we start the book of James, James 1, 1 through 15. And as we come to the book of James, we understand James to be one of the brothers or technically half brothers of Jesus Christ. And uh, he's writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion. Uh, So this is targeted clearly towards Jewish believers, and they're in the dispersion. Well, what does that mean? You think of something that's dispersed, it's scattered. Uh, And why are they dispersed? Why are they scattered? Probably because of persecution. And James speaks this letter to them uh, that is so full of wisdom that James has often been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. But there's one verse today that I want us to really think about, and there's some other verses that we'll touch on that are maybe more well-known, but I want to focus on this verse today, and that is verse 12. And if you've read through the Bible before, you might be familiar with James 1 and verse 2, where it talks about count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. But now as he's developed that discussion and even talking about trials to people who very likely are going through trials... He gets to this in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So that that is an amazing statement saying, hey, for those that remain steadfast under trial, there is a trophy, there is an award awaiting them. And that is the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And I just want us to understand that is an award that we need to value. That crown of life is infinitely better than a gold medal, a green jacket, or the Stanley Cup. It is far surpassing those things because it is eternal. That's one reason why. This crown of life is not something that is going to be uh, forgotten. 
Yeah, you know, you hear the stories of Olympians who have lost their medals or, or things like that. This crown of life will not be lost. It will not fade. It will not be forgotten in the annals of history. No, it is an eternal thing. And another thing that makes it better than those earthly trophies is the one who gives it to you. It's not uh, some league commissioner. It's not some former champion. This crown of life is given out by God. And so as you think through your life, there is no doubt there are trials in your life this week. Think that, hey, God has promised that if I remain steadfast, I will receive the crown of life. He will award that to me. And that should be encouragement to us to keep going. Now, what does that mean to remain steadfast? Well, there's a link uh, between, obviously, trials and temptation. And with trials come temptation. And that's really what he goes on to talk about and says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there, we need to understand, trials are hard, and trials will bring temptations. Temptations to give up, temptations to give in, right? And we are going to be tempted, every single one of us, to blame our temptations on our trial and ultimately on God. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you make this situation in my life so hard? And that is a worldly way of thinking, really even a a victim mentality uh, that we see start to be expressed there. And we have to own up to the fact that when we sin, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. When we sin, we cannot blame our trial. When we sin, we cannot blame God. When we sin, it's because of our own desires that we did not say no to. And so that's what we need to fight for in the midst of trials to not give in to temptation. And I would say even ultimately the temptation to walk away from the Lord, right? Those of us that go through trials and remain steadfast and don't give up our faith, don't give up on following the Lord, um, to them, we're going to receive the crown of life. And that is something worth remaining steadfast for. And this uh, chapter gives us, now going back to some of the familiar verses, some helpful uh, encouragement and instruction on how to remain steadfast in trials. It starts with our perspective, viewing trials not as a burden, but as a blessing. Trials are something that God is using to make us more steadfast, more mature, more complete in this life. And we can embrace trials that way, or we can bemoan them as just something that messes up our life, moves our cheese, uh, takes away our comfort, or whatever. And, And trials are difficult. And in trials, we will need wisdom. And one of my favorite promises in the entire Bible is in verse 5, where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God gives wisdom generously to those who ask. So is there a trial that you're racking your brain about today, trying to figure out what to do? Have you asked God for wisdom? And have you asked him in faith, even opening up your Bible to this verse and saying, God, you say, if I need wisdom, I can ask and you will give generously. So ask God for that and let him help you remain steadfast 
under trials. That, that's the goal. We, we want to end the race and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to receive that crown of life. Well, another passage today gives us some instruction on what it's going to look like to get there, to receive that crown. And that's our next section in Psalm 119, uh, the Hebrew letter Beit. And we look at verses 9 through 16 today. And this section begins with those familiar words, how can a young man keep his way pure? And really, for those of us that are on the younger side, or really some of those youthful temptations have a way of holding on even to middle age or beyond, but how can we keep our way pure? I think it's really another way of asking, how can we remain steadfast in this life? And then he says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Do you see that desire there in verse 10? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. His desire is to seek the Lord. And his greatest fear is wandering from the Lord. Is that your greatest desire and your greatest fear? Because that will even help us with our perspective on trials. If our greatest desire is to know God, to be like Him, then we will welcome trials and see them as an opportunity to grow in that. If our greatest desire in our lives is our comfort or ourself or our own passions and dreams, well, then trials are just going to be a big obstacle in the way of getting in those, of getting those things. But may we have that desire that we see here in Psalm 119. And you really see, he wants to step up his his defense to guard his heart, to guard his heart with scripture. And we also see he expressed not only just the defense that he wants, but the delight that he has. In verse 14, he says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He says it again in verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He sees the word as a joy, something that is life giving. And it's good for us to be reminded what God is telling us in his word is more valuable than all the riches of the world. You could have the multiple homes in multiple locations. You could have the private jet. Uh, You could have all the amenities of life in this world. Uh, But if you had those without knowing God and without his word, it would really be for naught. And it would be better to have God and his word and to live simply than to have all of those things. And so may we be a people that want to remain steadfast in trial and do that really by stepping up our defense and our delight in God's word. And we know this is true because knowing God is truly one of the most valuable things that we could ever have. And we're going to see that as we look at Jeremiah chapters eight and nine today. And This ends with a very familiar passage as well. Uh, In chapter 9, starting in verse 23, you might have heard these words before. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So again, we see it'd be better to know God than to be rich or to be mighty. It would be better to know God than to win a gold medal. Or all the things that you could achieve in this world, knowing God is better. But what I also want us to know is not knowing God is tragic. 
And that's where we know this familiar passage at the end of Jeremiah 9. As you read the rest of chapters 8 and 9, you're going to see it is full of intense judgment towards uh, Jerusalem, towards uh, Judea and Judah. And really, that's what sets this up, right? Judgment is coming. So, man, it is valuable that you know the Lord. And so let us see the value of knowing the Lord, but let's also see the tragedy for those that don't remain steadfast under trial, for those that give in to temptation and let that dominate their lives, that the end result of that is one worth mourning about. And that's where, again, we should be reminded, blessed are those who mourn. And instead of just being upset about the sin we see in our society or inconvenienced by it or a or just mad that the culture is not going the way that we want it to go. We should be those who mourn over the sin we see in our society, like we see, especially in the beginning of chapter 9, Jeremiah mourning. Well, let's wrap up with John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And here we see Jesus' first miracle. He turns the water into wine. And I really enjoyed studying this a couple uh, years ago now as we were teaching through the Gospel of John at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, and just a familiar parable, but just seeing things that stand out, just even the volume of wine that Jesus produced and just thinking how many, you know, how many bottles of wine would that be a modern equivalent to? And it would take acres of land and all the time of growing the grapes that he did in just a single moment. And also, that's a good reminder. One of the favorite kind of tangent arguments from this passage really is even the age of the earth and creation. And it's clear God can create something that uh, looks old, uh, but but it actually isn't, right? And that's what he does with this wine, right? It takes time to create wine, but he does it in a moment. And I'm sure if you could have done lab testing on this wine, it would have looked like it was uh, older than two minutes or whatever it was when it was being drunk. But Jesus created it in a moment. Jesus has power to create. Jesus has power to provide. And those are some amazing lessons, I think, from uh, that parable that hopefully we take into our own lives today. I can trust Christ. He can provide for me. He can provide generously for me. So I'm going to trust him. And hopefully that trust is just another thing that helps us remain steadfast under trial and move us forward to receiving that crown of life from our Lord and our Savior. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.